Well, I have the opportunity now to introduce you to our uh, new interim preaching pastor, uh, Pastor Rick and his wife, Lynn. Actually, can you guys stand as I uh, introduce you here? Uh, Rick has been in pastoral ministry for 36 years and uh, has been pastoring most recently and is currently still on staff at Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa. Now, you may be asking, how is he still on staff at Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa and also here on Sunday? Well, at the beginning of this year, he actually transitioned from being the lead pastor there, which he was uh, since 2001, into an associate role of leadership development and is continuing on as staff as they've brought in uh, their new lead pastor there. So Calvary has generously allowed Pastor Rick to come here and and preach for us on Sunday mornings while retaining his role there um, until the summer. And uh, he and his wife, Lynn, they have three uh, adult children, one of which I got to know when he was a student at the University of Guelph, Graydon, uh, their son, uh, when I was working at, uh, with Campus for Christ on campus at the University of Guelph. And uh, Graydon is, uh, you know, he's a wild guy, but loves the Lord. Um, we did some, a lot of evangelism on campus together, and uh, now he's a missionary in Tanzania, uh, full-time with his wife and three children, is that right? Three children. And so they have six total grandchildren, and um, Rick has been, again, pastoring at Oshawa uh, since 2001, and uh, but over 36 years now of pastoral ministry. And so, Rick, why don't you come up here and I'll pray for you as you, uh, as you open up the book of Colossians for us this morning. Well, Lord, I thank you uh, for your call on Pastor Rick's life and, uh, and how you called him into ministry and given him a love for your word and also an ability to teach it. And so, Lord, I just thank you that he's able to use that gift for us here now, here at West Highland, for the building up of your church here. And Lord, I just pray for he and Lynn during their time here over the next few months that they'd feel at home here, they'd feel welcomed, that they'd be blessed as they're a part of our services here as well, and that, uh, and that they would be a blessing to us as they serve, and, uh, and especially as Rick brings your word on Sunday mornings. And so Lord, just guide him and direct him by your spirit, and uh, may we be open again to hearing what you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, may Christ be exalted through the preaching, and uh, may we be edified as we, as we hear and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Thank you Pastor Jamie. So yes, I'm your new supply teacher. And um, I remember when, uh, back in school, when you'd have a supply teacher, you would, you would tell them all the things that you allegedly claimed your teacher would allow you to do, like have extra long recess and all that kind of stuff. And so I pretty much believe anything that you tell me at this point uh, about uh, the church here. In fact, uh, I, was, I was told by some that uh, these cylindrical uh, tubes here, are you voting for whether I get to stay or not? So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of excited because there's been way more people in this service coming up and putting things in here than the service before. So maybe I'll just be allowed to preach at the second service and not the first one, I don't know. But no, I do know what those are for and those are excellent, it's wonderful prayer. Uh, answers, victory answers, and all of that. So, yeah, as, as Pastor Jamie said, um, we do have a connection, and um, my wife and I grew up not too far from here. Uh, we grew up uh, 30 kilometers, or 30 miles, I should say, north uh, Highway 6 in a city called Guelph, and um, so we're almost neighbors. We, we, um, we've been married now 44 years, well, soon. In May, we'll be married 44 years, and... Um, and we have uh, three children, and um, I, as I mentioned in the first service, I'll mention this one, that our first one always gets top billing because he's a crazy kid, but 
We have two other uh, excellent children as well. Our son Jordan, is uh, second son, is worship pastor at Calvary in Oshawa. And um, our daughter uh, Bronwyn works for a, a plan to protect a, a vulnerability um, uh, a business. And, um, and by the way, our, our daughter d- is not married, and if there are any guys here who, in mid- <laughs> who are mid-30s and have big boy pants um, you can, and have a job, you can come and talk to me because I can, I can set something up for you. And um, just dying to give her away, so it would be, be, be excellent. So, so um, I, would, I don't know a lot about Hamilton. I, I, I was mentioning to people, you know, um, living in Guelph, Hamilton was on the way to Niagara Falls, and, you know, school trips, all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like the gateway to the, 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 the mystique of Canada, you know, the going to the middle, middle world between Canada and the U.S., you know, and when you get to the claps and corners there, it's like I remember being very excited because you're almost at Niagara Falls. Not really, but we used to think that. And then you're almost at the border, and then you, you can go to Florida or wherever you want to go. And um, so uh, I, I know that claps and corners, I know the Burlington Skyway, and that's about it. And I uh, know there are a lot of one-way streets here, and I'll try to learn what's, what's going on. But yes, we, we're not an Oski wee wee guy, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, that's not all I'm sure we don't share. But, but I, wanna, I want to, um, I, I suspect if you are anything like me, and I think most people, most Christians at this point, um, I wake up every day and think, where am I? What, what, is, what is going on around me? What is happening in this world? If you watch the news at all, I don't advise it anymore because it's, it's um, pretty, pretty uh, dangerous. But, and, and every day seems to be getting worse. It seems to be worse than the day before. And I, I start to think, I don't even recognize where, where I'm living. Um, I, don't, I don't recognize the, the country we live in and, and the way people think and the way people are living and the way people are acting. Um, it's, it's, it's like you've woke up on another planet. And it, if we're not careful, it can cause us, even we who know the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in a sovereign God and know that he's over all, if we're not careful, we can start to, to lose our sense of security and lose our sense of hope. And, and, and it can erode in our lives and, and we can start to, to become very discouraged. I thought it would be good for us in light of the, the, the lay of the landscape of our country, and in particular, sort of this time in between senior pastors for you, to just refocus our eyes on the glories of our Christ. And I know Pastor Duane did that with you, uh, have a subject called Encounters with, with Jesus from the Gospels, and I, it, it seemed to me a good follow-up for you um, would be um, experiencing Christ uh, glorified and, and who he is in, in, uh, in these days because people don't seem to know who they are. They don't know what they are. And it would be horrible if we were 
those people because we know who we are and we know what we are and we know in whom we believe. But it needs a refresher, doesn't it? It needs a refresher. So would you open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter one? And um, before we dive into the passage, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, as our Bibles are open before us, the word of God, the truth, I pray this morning that you would just, um, as you do, make yourself very real to us, Lord. I pray, we, we need your help. We need, we need an infusion of hope that the Holy Spirit can give to us uh, through the truth of your word. Uh, in these days of insecurity and, and uh, unsettledness, where we wonder, oh, oh Lord, what's, what's the next day going to bring? What is happening around us? We have a sure anchor. We have a fixed hope. We have a, a supreme savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you might turn our eyes uh, toward him today. For Jesus' sake, I pray, amen. So I, I don't feel that it's exaggerating the time to conclude we're living in the midst of what I'm calling cultural terrorism. That's why I've, I've called the sermon today Good News in the Age of Terror. Because our culture is seeking to, to cause us to be afraid. Every day there's something. There's a health crisis or a climate crisis or a gender identity crisis or an overpopulation crisis. It's on and on and on. We've gone through a period of time over the last couple of years that have been very unsettling and very troubling. And so we, we've made it one whole month into 2024. And here we are, um, but the onslaught continues, doesn't it? It's a relentless being swamped with untruth, with deceit, with emotional sabotage, with uh, sneaky anti-Christian agendas that are seeking to impose political correctness on the word of God and force it on the scriptures. So more than ever, for our emotional, our, our, our spiritual well-being, we need to turn our full attention to truthful, praiseworthy, and glorious things. And so I commend to you the Lord Jesus Christ. The Colossians, as a people, they were, they were living in a time where they were basing themselves in theological and political and superstitious um, mel melting pot. And so um, there was plenty of descriptions, as you read uh, on the times, that there plenty of descriptions of the Col Colossian people, the Colossian church, a fledgling new church. There was lots of fear. Uh, not, dis not dissimilar to the time we're living and it was threatening to unsettle their faith. As, as Andrew Breitbart said, and I'm not quoting him as some sort of theologian, uh, the founder of Breitbart News and Huffington Post, says this, but it's true. Politics is downstream of the culture. It is the culture that is really the driving force in American life. We could say North American life. We could say Western life. Because many of us here think, well, you know, if we could just get a political change, Things would change. And by the way, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in politics. I encourage people to vote and all of that. And I believe there's differences and all of that. Uh, you know, but, but if we think that politics is going to change things, 
we are sadly mistaken because it really is the culture of the people that are driving the politics. Politicians just seek to poll things and then do what the polls say. And, and I would submit to you that, that the, the rightness of that statement makes this statement true from my experience that increasingly our postmodern form of Christianity is downstream of culture as well and is being driven by it. And, and think about that. That's a scary statement to think that our culture is driving the church. It must not be. It, it cannot be for us. We cannot allow the culture to drive our lives. So it is important for us, in light of that, to make certain we know what we believe and are able to stand firmly on that truth. So how, how are we to handle the attacks of uh, the encroaching culture on the church? Well, some people, some churches, some church movements are calling for a for a, a call to action, a call to physical action, a call to war with the culture. I'm not sure that would go very well. I'm not sure the scriptures call us to that. In fact, I don't think they do. Others are calling for a systematic accommodation to the culture. You see this all around where there's a capitulation of churches to the culture around us. I think the scriptures call us to become reacquainted with what we really believe, the uniqueness and supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ for all things. To combat cultural error with truth. I've been told that when you're training people to um, be able to spot counterfeit money, you don't train people by looking at the counterfeit money. You train people to learn what is authentic. They study what is authentic. If you know what is authentic, you will know what is inauthentic. If God's people are committed to what is authentic, we will not get swept away by all of the cultural ideas that are around us. We will remain steadfast and moored on the truth of God's word. That's what Colossians seeks to do. That's what this letter seeks to do. Paul centers his letter, and so are we going to, on a powerful core reality that is, that is um, this. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Let that lodge itself in your heart and your mind, because we're going to look at something related to that in a few moments. And, and in reality, the, the text of Colossians teaches us that God or that Jesus is God visible. As Pastor Duane was teaching you about encounters with Jesus in the Gospels, what Jesus thought, God thought. What Jesus did, God did. What Jesus says, God said. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so we need to shore up the parts of us that are taking a beating in these days. So the scripture appeal to us is that we need to know the truth and be thankful to God. Truth combats cultural error. And thanksgiving will guard your hearts against becoming, having a, deprived, a depraved mind. Where do I pick that up? I pick that up in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
In a few moments, we're going to gather as a church family around the table of the Lord. This is a table of thanksgiving, the Eucharist. This is where we are reminded or we come together to, to have our hearts guarded from, be, from, from having depraved minds, from slipping away from the truth. Uh, understanding that as we thank God for the glories of his salvation to us, it guards our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. So this is the table of thanksgiving. So very quickly, I want to share with you kind of just a buffet of what, uh, what, how we have an introduction to, the, to Colossians today, the first eight verses, and just sort of a buffet of six things that you should be thankful for, that I, I'm certainly thankful for, and Paul calls us to be thankful for, and, and I believe you will be. It's just a survey um, of, of, of what he has to say. So how can thanksgiving, or how our thanksgiving, can serve to disarm the onslaught of the surrounding culture, okay? Thanksgiving can disarm the onslaught of the surrounding culture. Instead of getting up in the morning and say, what in the world is going on? Get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for what I have in the supremacy of Christ who is over all. All right, that's our, that's our challenge. So unchangeable truth that cultural terrorists can't touch. Because our world is allowing feelings to define its identity. That's why we're in a mess. The word of God invites us to allow truth, the truth of God's word to define our identities. We are who God says we are. Okay. So the first of the three descriptions really clarify our identity very nicely. Notice what it says in verse two. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ that call us I. That word holy is the word saints. You are, first of all, saints, viewed by God as perfect. That holy and saint idea. You know, we're used to saint so-and-so and saint this and saint, and we think, well, there's only a few people who are ever saints. No, everybody who is in Christ is a saint. The man or the woman beside you who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, take a look at them, they're a saint. <laughs> and from now on, address me as saint. You know, um, we, we, are, we are, and viewed as perfect in God. You know, we've heard people say before, oh, that lady, she's such a saint, or that guy, he's such a saint. No, we, as God's people, if we know Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are a saint. You are holy. You are viewed by God as perfect. Because you are viewed by God through the lens of the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to the account of your heart. Through Christ's death for you, what Christ has done for you, you are considered 100% perfect. That's positionally 100%. Because we all know each other. And they're like, wait a minute, you're not perfect. You are perfect positionally. Otherwise, you couldn't have a relationship with God. A holy God cannot accept anything that isn't perfect. And so he has to do it himself. He justifies us or declares us perfect positionally that he might have a relationship with us. I use this in evangelism all the time. And I'm always asking people, okay, how much do you think, how good do you think you have to be before you'll be accepted by God? Because you know what most people think. Most people think there's sort of a balance scale of good and bad things. If my good things are better than tip the balance on my bad things, then I'm going to be okay with God. 
So most people will say, well, I, I, I guess I have to at least get a passing grade. And some people are a little more hard on themselves and say, well, I think I probably need to have an 85 or 90%. I say, well, you know what? You have to be perfect. They're like, what? And then automatically they look at me like, who do you think you are? You think you're perfect? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, I am. I'm positionally perfect before God. That's why works of the flesh don't earn us salvation. Because we have to be perfect. And the only way you can be perfect is to be declared righteous by God, to be viewed through the lens of imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you're a saint. That's an exciting thing to wake up every day. I'm a saint, viewed by God as perfect, and I'm called upon to grow now more in holiness, right? We are holy, becoming holy. But secondly, he says here, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. You and I are in Christ, where all the, remember I said park, the idea of who Christ is? You and I are in Christ, where all the fullness of deity dwells. In Christ. You know, that speaks of location. We are in Hamilton this morning. That's our location. When you are in Christ, when you came to know Christ, you were placed in Christ. Where all the fullness of deity dwells. The Godhead, of, the Godhead dwells. If the pronounians ever ask me and force me to give them pronouns, my pronouns are going to be in him. Because that's my identity. That's your identity. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are in him. A glorious place to be. It trumps all things. It trumps culture. It trumps location. It trumps heritage. It trumps ethnicity. It, it trumps all other gods. You are in Christ. In Christ. Says who? Says Paul. Paul says, I, an apostle of Christ Jesus. You remember the Jesus who you heard about was crucified in Jerusalem? That Jesus. That Jesus rose from the dead and I know him. I'm now an apostle of him. I'm in Christ. I am related to him. And by the way, this is Timothy, my sidekick, and he will share the same thing with you. But I know Christ. I've spoken to Christ. I've seen Christ. I bring him to you. And he says that this in Galatians, to the Galatians, in Galatians 1, 15 to 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Do you see this? Paul claims his salvation foundational roots were from his mother's womb. I was set apart. And he says... If you know my life, I took a detour. I became a, a, a murderer of Christians. And this same God pursued me by his grace and called me and gave me this great ministry to tell people, to tell you in Colossae, to tell you today here that you, if you know Christ, are in him. You are in Christ. He has revealed his son to you so that you can preach him and teach him. Thirdly, this last phrase in verse 2, grace and peace to you from our God. Do you realize that you and I are to be thankful because we are blessed? We are a blessing of God's undeserved favor to us. 
That's what grace is, the undeserved favor to us and his perfect peace that comes from God who is your father. This is a, a tremendous cause for thanksgiving that we have been brought into God, a relationship with God not because of anything we did but because of his grace his undeserved favor toward us and has offered us his perfect peace in an unsettled world. We get to live with his perfect peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is the peace that God gets to dwell in. God is never wringing his hands in unsettled and fearful. And by grace in this salvation, he gifts to us this kind of peace. You can have my peace. And he, because he is our father, we never have to chase after his love for us because he has chased after us to love us and continues to do so. So let the sheer weight of that reality just rest itself on your soul in the dark nights. And, and then there's, a, as we move forward here, fourthly, this has been, this has been an unbelievably challenging season. As I said, these last few years have been very difficult for families and for, for all of us, some lost loved ones or challenges in friendships or jobs challenges. All of that has happened to us. A lot of trauma, a lot of testing, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of loss, a lot of insecurity. But look what we have in verse five, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Don't miss this one. You and I, in Christ, have a heaven-guarded, truth-shaped hope that is stored for us in heaven. Is your, hope, is your hope taking a beating in these last few days? Is it wavering maybe this morning? What you have in Christ, your salvation, your eternity, eternal inheritance is kept safely for you in heaven's vault, stored up for you. It doesn't come and go as you feel. It's stored there for you. Rust, rust and moth and mildew can't get to it. Thieves can't get to it. Your feelings can't get to it. That hope is stored up for you in heaven. Cultural abuse can't get at it. Emotional saboteurs can't get after it. Hope is stored for you in heaven. Jesus himself said that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise Jesus made to us. I'm thankful for that. And, and how, do, how do you and I know that our hope is stored up in heaven. Well, there are evidences in our life. You see what Paul says? Faith and love. That you have faith in Christ Jesus is evidence that your hope is stored up for you, waiting for you in heaven. The guarantee of your eternal life, the guarantee of your eternal inheritance, the guarantee of your eternity with Jesus Christ is stored up for you on the basis of the fact that you have faith in Christ, that you're able to believe in Christ. You see, the, the opposite of faith is unbelieving. 
that you were able, enabled by God to stop unbelieving and start believing that Christ is who he says he is and Christ did what he said he did is evidence now that you know him and have your hope stored up in heaven. But the second evidence here is your love for all the saints. Now, I just popped into your life today. But according to the word of God, you have to love me. <laughs> and I'm going to love you. But that's not hard, is it, brothers? It's not hard for us to love brothers and sisters. I mean, some of us are more lovable than others. But it's not hard to love brothers and sisters. If you travel, you get to travel anywhere, you travel around the world, even across our country, and you bump into other Christians, there's, a, there's an immediate love for, for them, isn't there? That, that's not the same as just meeting somebody who isn't a believer. Well, that love that you have that comes to you automatically now is proof and evidence to you that your hope is stored up in heaven. Faith in Christ and love for all the saints is proof positive to you that you have hope secured for you in heaven. Fifthly, he, he goes on to say, and um, stored up in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just at a, a as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. The, the fifth reason to be thank, thankful is that you are evidence of the results of this glorious gospel. You're here this morning worshiping the living Christ, gathering together with God's people, uh, challenging one another, spurring one another, another on to love and good works, is evidence of the results of the glorious gospel in your life and the, and the reality of the gospel. How glorious is the gospel? Well the, well, the scope of this movement, the scope of the good news of Jesus Christ is literally staggering. It's throughout the whole globe. Now, maybe you're here, and maybe you don't know for sure what the gospel is, what the good news is. I, I wouldn't want anybody to leave here and we talk about gospel and good news, but we don't actually define it. Let me quickly define it for you. The, the, the good news is, is, is how God himself has, has enabled people who are rebellious and in opposition to him to have a spiritual relationship with the living God. The good news is that you can know Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior. That you can have your sins forgiven. That you can have a relationship with God. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. To take care of the justice of God that your sins might be punished. But he rose again as well for you. By the mercy of God, Jesus Christ is your sacrificial substitute that you might know God. That's the good news. The good news is that you can have a relationship with God. He's made a way for misfits to come to know him because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. And how expansive is the reach of the gospel? I'm thankful for this because it it, it is another evidence of the greatness of God and what God is accomplishing and what God, and the reality of the good news is its reach throughout the world. 
When you think about all of the other great religions of the world, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and I'm not naming them all, but there's a, there's a sampler for you. Fundamentally, those religions are localized, tribal, racial, cultural. The gospel is none of those. The gospel's not tribal. The gospel's not racial. The gospel's not ethnic. The gospel's not localized. The good news of Jesus Christ fans out throughout the whole world. It's for everyone. That's its reach. That's the glory of the gospel. From every tongue and tribe and nation, people come to know Christ. Wherever you go in this world, you will meet. There's, I mean, there's a few unreached places yet. That's why missions exist. But for the most part, wherever you go, you will find people of God. You will find your brothers and sisters. But it also, the, the evidence of its glory is its life-transforming work, bearing fruit and growing. The evidence, the thankful evidence that you have salvation is your life is being changed, is being transformed. This country will not change by politics. Our world will not change by politics. Our world will change one person at a time as lives are changed and transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. That's the glory of the gospel. The gospel actually does change the world. Through, its, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Finally, six. He says here, the grace that you heard, or since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul apparently never visited Colossae. These people were not his fruit. These people were the fruit of the work of Epaphras, who Paul likely led to the Lord. This was part of the mission of Paul's work. And here's the evidence. They know differently, they think differently, they believe differently, they behave differently, because they were granted ears of faith to hear the good news and believe. And if you know Jesus Christ, there was a day, there was a time, there was a season somewhere in your life where the Lord God opened up your ears to hear and opened up your heart to receive and someone delivered to you the good news of Jesus Christ. This is worth a pause moment to just thank the Lord for whoever that person was. Who was that person? Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe a pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher. But someone was used by God to enable you to hear the, good, the gospel and you responded to it. It was Epaphras for these people. They heard it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. So open your mouth, beloved, and tell because the evidence is here that people will hear and people will understand and they will respond through the work of God. 
and they understood God's gift of the truth about the universe and how eternity operates. We are truth tellers in a society of untruth and deceit. We are truth tellers. So, because God one day helped you to hear and believe, you were dead in your trespasses and sins just like I was. But at nine years old, I remember it very well. I still remember it this day. Nine years old, York Road Baptist Church in Guelph. Now Crestwick Baptist Church. Pastor gave a message. And for the first time, God opened up my ears to hear that I was a sinner and lost. And enabled me to understand that I needed Christ and his forgiveness. That was God who made that happen. We were dead, and God enabled us to hear. So, beloved, there are six fantastic reasons to be thankful today as we gather at the table of the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for your salvation in Christ. I thank you for who we are, what we are, who you are. Thank you for the truth. And now, Lord, I pray as we turn our attention to our thanksgiving for the cross, what Christ has done for us. I pray, O oh Lord, that it will be a new um, emphasis of thanksgiving this morning in our hearts and lives. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. I'm pretty convinced that the Apostle Paul was writing to a church that may have become somewhat discouraged. And I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but if you are discouraged, consider this, that there are two ways to live. There are those people who are slaves to their feelings and enslaved to their fears. And they may have physical dwellings to live in, but their souls are homeless. Paul says, but not so with you. You have been declared perfect by God. You have been placed in Christ where all the fullness of deity dwells and your hope is secure in heaven. Of whom shall you be afraid? Whom shall you fear? Loved ones, be thankful. Consider what you have in Christ today and rejoice in Christ your Savior. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us in Christ Jesus, and we are grateful for the power of his blood that rescued us and has placed us in this marvelous kingdom of light where we live to glorify a God and to thank him for his great love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.